Uh, we're going to be this today in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 in our New Testament. Um, if you need a Bible, put up your hand. Uh, you'll find 1 Corinthians 4 on page 817 of uh, this Bible that you received. Love for you to have a Bible. You can turn to it in your device as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, four. Uh, we are in week 4 of our series titled The Way We Change the World. Now this is a pretty uh, big and bold title, isn't it? Uh, what we need to know about when we talk about the way... Okay, what we're talking about with the way is something that we call uh, discipleship. We've defined disciple as a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, discipleship then is this process of following by which Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit in the context of the community of his people, actually and truly transforms our lives. Through discipleship, we and the work of Christ, we go from uh, places of hurt to places of healing, places of division to places of reconciliation. Uh, Jesus takes us from places of death into places of life, from loss to salvation. And this is what we call salvation, uh, discipleship. This is the way that we're talking about, okay? And uh, when we talk about changing the world, let me clarify this for a little bit. Um, because sometimes we think, okay, changing the world, that's big stuff, right? And uh, we may think, you know, some people, some people change the world in the name of Jesus Christ. Some people go with a step of faith to start orphanages halfway across the world to impact the lives of children. Some people get involved with international justice mission and go and are involved in releasing uh, women from all over the globe from sex trafficking. Some people... Well, they change the world by going out and preaching messages to uh, the masses, going and being missionaries. Some people change the world, but that's maybe not me. We don't think of ourselves in that way. Maybe you show up here and you start thinking like, man, change the world. I'm just trying to change a few diapers. You know, I'm trying to change a habit. I'm just trying to survive, get through uh, the week here. But the reality that we need to know is that the way that Jesus changed the world was one person at a time and some people go and do kind of huge things but regardless whether you're a mom at home investing in the life of a child whether you are uh, a dad that is uh, investing in your child whether you have a simple job with not much education whether you are lost in addiction and seeking hope the reality is that Jesus comes in and he changes the world one person at a time. He changes the world and he begins with you. Okay, so when we look at the way that we change the world, the answer to how all this happens is discipleship. That is what we're talking about here when we talk about the way that we change the world. We aim to grasp all that God has for us. We want to be on the path that he has for us. And so we are following Jesus, and we are looking for how we receive from him in this life. And if we are to look at Jesus, if we are to follow his example as laid out in the Gospels, we see that he came and he ministered to the masses, but he invested in the few. He called a, a few men, a few women, to be able to invest deeply in their lives. And he invited them to drop what they were doing and to, to follow him on this path of life. And he was teaching them, and he was... Uh, investing in them intimately, and they were um, continuing to look at him and his example and his teaching and uh, learn what that meant for their lives. And this is the path of discipleship that we've been talking about. 
Now, when we talk about discipleship and we talk about it doing Jesus style and we look at his example, uh, pretty soon a, a question comes up in our head. So, when we're talking about discipleship and doing it Jesus' way and looking to his example, does that mean to be discipled, I need to quit my job, leave my family, drop what I'm doing, and just for a period of two years, live together, walk together, go through all this? I mean, it's a very real question. Like, how, how do we do this? Because that was the way back in the Jewish culture that the disciples did with their rabbis, with their masters. So what does that look like for us today? And in fact, for the church, not just our church, but the church in our nation, the church in our world, it's been a hard question. Not just that it's important to be disciples who make disciples, but how do we actually do that? And so many, because of the difficulty of wondering what it might look like, have abandoned the pursuit altogether and settled for crowd life. Some have limited discipleship only to those who can commit vast amounts of time to spending time together in deep, long studies. So we have this question because our goal here that we're asking, if Jesus asked us to do this, is not just that how do we reach many, but how do we effectively disciple many? What does that look like for us today? And so we look at the life of Jesus, but sometimes it's a little bit hard, but I believe that we see an answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The context of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is now there's a man named Paul who is a missionary to not the Jewish people, but to the Greek people. And so he ministers and he spreads the gospel and he plants a church in the city of Corinth. And he's speaking to them in their language. This is a group of people that don't get the rabbi thing. It's a different culture and it's a different context. And so Paul gives them a picture of what discipleship is all about in a language that the Corinthians and those of us now might understand a little bit better. I believe that the verses we're about to read have some tips for us. That maybe as we hear God's word, he will give us a picture of what discipleship looks like. That there's an illustration that will guide us. So we go through his word and maybe look at some of the steps we may take to accomplish in what Jesus has called us to. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, says this. I, Paul, do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Now, it might seem a little bit kind of uh, demeaning that Paul would write to these educated, well-off Corinthians that are adults and write to them as children, but what this speaks to is the love that he has for these people and how he cares for them. And he writes to them and says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. I want to focus in on verse 15 where Paul writes, you have countless guides in Christ, but you do not have many fathers. Paul talks about a couple of groups of people here uh, that invest in the church. He talks first about these guides, and the word guides in the Greek culture is the word the pedagogos, um, which we don't know, but basically it refers to 
guardians. Uh, These pedagogos, these guides, were like nannies that when the kids were young would impart the basic information. They would teach them reading, writing, and arithmetic. And they would teach them the basic information that was needed. But they would purely impart that information. Uh, So when Paul writes to the Corinthians, uh, he says, look, you have countless guides. You have your Peters, you have your Apollos, you have your Paul, people that are imparting information. But even though they're getting information, he's saying you're not experiencing life transformation. See, this information that they were receiving from countless guides wasn't really transforming them. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church in this letter, and they're having all kinds of crazy going on. Now, these were people that, though they were believers in Jesus Christ, that they were involved in all kinds of division within the church. They were actually suing one another. And they were having no idea how to worship, being more shaped by the culture than they were by God's word for their lives. They were sexually completely lost. And so even though they had all of the information, they had received the download, it wasn't transforming their behavior one bit. And Paul writes and says, you don't need more information. You've got plenty of guides. You've got plenty of pedagogos. You've got thousands of downloads, he may say to us, that you can get a hold of. But what you need more of is not information. What you need is life transformation. And so in verse 15, the answer he gives is another picture, not just the picture of the teacher, the guardian, the pedagogos, but he gives the picture of a parent. See, what would happen in the Greek culture is that when the child came of age, this may seem a little bit odd to us in our culture, but the pedagogos, the nanny, would impart basic life information, and then when the child came of age, he would come to the shoulder of the parent, where the child would then learn what it was to actually live out life, given the basic information that was had. You see, teaching the pedagogos was a great start to life, But ultimately, parenting was needed to be able to walk, to be able to live out life. See, the pedagogos imparts information, but the parent invites the child to live life at their side and therefore is giving the example. It's no longer just information. It is an example to imitate, to live at the shoulder, to get an example, to learn role in society. Yes, the children would be taught given all the basic information, but they would only catch the things that could be caught. They needed something more. There was a relational dynamic. It was absolutely essential in the society, and it was known that the future depended on it. The family business depended on it. The legacy of the family depended on it. Learning role and living that out depended on this shift from the pedagogos, the guardian, the teacher, to the parents. Now, for us in the church, we need to ask the question, the point that Paul's making here is that spiritual maturity, the capacity to live based on the information that we have received, comes not from just being given information and then sending people off to do their own thing and figure it out. No, there needs to be an example of bringing alongside. Something more intimate is needed. And Paul writes, and he he gives this example of Timothy. 
He says, not only have I become a father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, and I urge you to imitate me, but he says, this is why I'm sending Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, and as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul refers to Timothy. We talked about Timothy a couple months ago, and Timothy was a young man who had come to know Jesus, come to trust in Jesus. Paul one day invited him to his side like a father would, invited him to follow him on his missionary journeys, to watch him and learn from him as he taught others, to watch how he discipled, to watch how he cared, to dwell closely, to be fully accessible to him, that Timothy might be discipled. And now Paul is able to actually send Timothy to share those ways with others because he had learned them from Paul himself. See, the bottom line here is that teaching is an opportunity for information. But when we talk about discipleship, it's discipleship that is the opportunity for transformation. See, it's not that the pedagogos was a bad thing. It was a very valuable thing. The impartation of information is needed to get started, to just learn the basics. But if we hope that we'll be able to live life, live life in Christ, to live out that maturity, to live as missional followers of Jesus, to live as relational followers of Jesus, we need to make a shift. Now, I think in our lives here, there are a couple barriers that are against us from making that shift in our walk with Christ, from being just given information to experiencing discipleship and transformation. I think barrier number one is that um, we exist in a very teaching culture. Uh, it's even heightened here uh, in Davis, right? We uh, show up to lectures, we, we listen, we're a very teaching culture. But, but think about this for a moment. Um, even in our teaching, we grasp the, the need not just for lecture but for lab. We, uh, any of you who are in the medical field, any surgeons that are out there, we praise the Lord that it is not just lecture, but that it, there is residency. Because I don't know, I don't want to show up to a surgeon that says, yes, I read the book. I have the information. I want to know, have you ever done this before? Have you watched others? Have you learned? We grasp this in areas of education, but if we look at our life in the church, Much of our culture is just about teaching the basic information. So we show up to large settings like this, and we are given information, and then we say, now go out, invite people, be missional, share the gospel. We talk about it plenty. In my years here, I've talked about it plenty. But do we actually know how to take that basic information and go apply it? We preach the scriptures about forgiving one another, about loving one another, but do we know what that looks like when relationships get hard? We talk about what it means to be good parents, and we could probably quote scriptures for those of us who are married about what it means to be a loving husband and a, a loving wife, but have we been shown what that means? You see, teaching culture alone um, is a barrier, but that's very much the culture we live in. A second barrier is the fact that very few of us have ever been truly discipled. Very few of us, and I include myself in this, were ever invested in what we're talking about as discipleship in a deep, accessible, intentional 
way. And so when we talk about disciples, we have been discipled. We've been discipled to do certain things, but it's not the type of discipleship that Jesus has called. So when we talk about discipleship, it's let's show up Sunday morning, then let's have a cup of coffee, we'll discuss this a little bit, and then, uh, once again, we'll entrust to go out and just do it. So these are some barriers that exist if we are to pursue discipleship in our lives. And if you would think about your life for a moment and consider it, if you think about the church culture that we live in today, might it be that if Paul was writing a letter to the discoverers today, that he would say the same thing. You've been given countless guides. You can go on the internet and listen to the best speakers that are out there. You can receive unlimited information in this information age. But would he say, you don't have many fathers? You don't have many spiritual fathers. You don't have many spiritual mothers. Those who would invest deeply and help you to know what it is to to live that out. I mean, we know very well the statistics that this is a relatively fatherless generation in general. And for the church, we are coming from a generation where we are spiritually fatherless, spiritually motherless. If if we could just look at history, the past, how, how did we end up in this place? I mean, discipleship, I, I think churches always have admission statements that talk about making uh, disciples. It's always been there since Jesus said it. But why is it that in different cultures we struggle with this in different ways? Look at our culture. You go back about 100 years, and the church in America may have looked very differently. Or there was a period of revivals that, that went on. What happened in the revivals um, by, by God's grace, many at one time would come to, to the altar calls to be born again, to start afresh in their lives of, of following God's plan for them. And all of a sudden, the churches were just inundated with, with lots of people. And if you look at the evangelists, they were, hey, let's get more people in, more people in, for right heart motives. But we ended up with large crowds of people. And as we transition into an age that values just kind of an entertainment society, big church getting less communal and more like the crowds, the push has been there for the megachurch movement to show up to entertain. And and then for leaders like myself to keep the crowds that's coming. Hey, we don't want to lose these crowds now that we're there. And so we ended up with a crowd culture. And maybe along the way, forget that Jesus was never about gathering the crowds. He was about making disciples. Now, I'm not against big churches by any means. In fact, it is my prayer that we would go to two and and three services here and wherever God leads us because um, I, I just think that that's a metric for that we regularly gather. So I, I'm for big churches. I love some, some mega churches and what, what they're doing in advancing the gospel and, and meeting needs around the globe. But in the midst of that, I'm committed that we see a culture of not only reaching the many, but discipling the many. Because that's what Jesus has called us to. Now, why is discipleship so important? Why is it at the heart of all we do? Number one, I would say this, because Jesus clearly called us to. 
He told us to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. He called us not to draw the crowds. I believe that every church leader, myself included, will one day stand before Jesus and say, how did you do with that? And if we say, hey, we went and we entertained the crowds, you see the size of, of the church that we built. I believe it will come back to, have we made disciples? Number one, Jesus said that's what we're to be about, so that's what we'll be about. Number two, what I've come to learn and what we know is that true life transformation doesn't come from the crowd life. It comes from this discipleship life of, of knowing Jesus and following him and aligning our life to him. That is where those of us who are hurting, uh, you show up here hurting, and we may pray, we may inspire, we may give a word for the Lord, but you go right back out to that hurt and that struggle. And you're often alone in it throughout the week. And we come here and we teach the word of God, but some of you, this is all that you get all week. And you're struggling to know, where do I turn? Well, discipleship is the answer to that. We talk about serving, and you say, well, I've got lots of things in my life. Well, knowing God's purpose in your life, being people on mission, going being part of what God's doing, all that comes not from being in the crowd, but the transformation that we desire comes from discipleship. And so we would be doing you a huge disfavor if all we wanted to do was draw you to a crowd. Thirdly, I believe this with all my heart. That God has given us a vision here as a church to, to be a church that is reaching this city to change our world. And, and again, the title of this, The Way That We Change the World, it comes down to discipleship. As what I've learned over the years here is that in this city that we want to reach, in case you haven't noted, the masses aren't looking for where to go on a Sunday morning. It's probably even why you're hesitant to pass out that invitation because most people don't want to come to church on a Sunday morning. It's mostly... Christians that come here, if you're not Christian yet, we're so glad that you're here. We want more people to come. But the reality is, in our culture today, a lot of people are not coming to us. And so I've felt for when I've been leading this church for 10 years, when I came in, that God gave a vision that it has to be about discipleship. That we need to equip people to be able to go with the gospel, to be able to know the gospel for ourselves. And then to be able to go share it, to know how to look to God's word uh, for ourselves, to know how to walk uh, by the Spirit, to know how to uh, be missional and share the gospel in our homes and in our neighborhoods. And so we've always been about discipling. And so we need to come back to that and all that we do, like if we're to look at a leaf and see the veins and running through everything, it's discipleship that makes that happen. If we look at a vehicle of a car, it's the engine. Discipleship is the engine of what we do. And no matter what the outside looks like, no matter everything, that's what keeps us ticking forward. If you, you think for a moment, many of us in life right now, you may be showing up to church. But in your heart and in your life, there, there's some feelings of this holy discontent that there's more. That I, I, I want more of Jesus. That you're, you're struggling, even though you show up on a Sunday morning with your uh, marriages and, and parenting. 
struggling to know what God's plan for life, that, that there's more than just what we have here. And I would say what that more is, is number one, it is knowing Jesus and, and finding him. And then number two, knowing him more and finding more of him through this process that we call discipleship. He is the answer. Knowing him more is what's life-changing and then world-changing. And so in our lives, we need to not just be content where we are, because the reality is we're discontent where we are. But we need to kind of shift gear a little bit. We need to shift into higher gear to seek what God has for us. And again, once again, there's benefit in the teaching. There's the benefit in the basic information. But the next level, the next gear is the parenting, the spiritual parenting, the discipleship that helps us to live it out, that comes shoulder to shoulder and walks through these things and teaches us and shows, by example, as Paul said, imitate me. Most of us have never had somebody invest in our life in that way. So let's, let's shift gears. Let's shift gears. I, I don't know. There's some people that in your driving, you, you love stick shifts. Are there any kind of people out there that like, hey, that's the way to go. If I'm buying a car, it's manual all the way. I'm more of an automatic guy. Um, part of that is when I learned to drive a car, I, um, my parents just didn't have a stick shift in our family, so I just learned automatic, and that kind of fit my personality. You know, I was kind of more uh, laid back, didn't have to think too much about it, could just relax and drive. And, um, and so I kind of went all the way up through college without ever learning to drive a stick shift. And then my father, who uh, was a mason contractor, was going to uh, Germany for the summer. He said, I need somebody to drive the truck um, to the job. Uh, it's stick shift, but Johnny, my boy, I'm going to need you to, to kind of step up and, and learn how to do this. Now, uh, I don't know how you learned, those of you who have, to, to drive stick shift, but hopefully it was a nice little coupe where it's kind of like this nice little, little thing. Imagine um, this big dump truck with a stick shift that's like this long, and, and to learn to drive stick shift, I mean, you're putting your, your, your muscle into this thing. And not to mention kind of all that, you know, grinding of the gears and the buck. I would tell you, I had my dad in that truck sometime, and, and you know, when he was learning and teaching me through it, um, man, we were bucking things all over. He was holding on for dear life some of those days. And, uh, but uh, I eventually learned to drive it, but I t tell you, I was always a little bit, little bit cautious. It was easier to stay in, in low gear and go like 30 miles per hour on the road, but I just knew that wasn't the way to get from here to there. And many of us are content in low gear in our spiritual lives, in our walk with Christ, getting the information. But for those of us who really want to get to the higher gear to realize that, hey, that's the road that we're to travel that that's the way to go about it. That's what really opens it up. Well, we're going to have to shift some gears. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, I, just like that road was bumpy, I'll be honest with you, there's been times that we've pursued discipleship culture, and there's been some bumpy roads. Those of you who have been here for a few years, you may say, yeah, I walked with John. I was in that seat when we were bucking all over the place. And we're still maybe there a little bit. But we're willing to push through it. We're willing to find out where we need to go because we want to open up that life that Christ has for us. So if we are to move beyond a teaching only, a teaching focused culture into a discipling culture, we're going to have to make some shifts. And so with the rest of this morning, I'm not going to be able to download to you everything about how we're going to do this, but I want to get us thinking. 
to think, hey, if you are going to walk this path of discipleship, what are some of the shifts that you're going to have to make in your individual life to go from crowd to disciple? But what are things we're going to have to do as a church in order to lead more people, not just to come to our seats, but to actually experience all that Christ has for us through discipleship? So I'm going to go through a few of these shifts, and the first one is this. We're going to need to shift from thinking about the many to thinking about the few. Jesus ministered to the crowds. He ministered to the many, but he invested in the few. This is the way, this was his plan to change the world. Think about it. Jesus, all those people, the reason that we are here is because he invested in 12 men, and then he equipped them to go and to do what he had called them to do. And that is what has continued to advance the gospel from generation to generation. That was Jesus' plan. Uh, so if we were to look at how Jesus lived this out, if we were to look at the circles of his life, we see that, yeah, Jesus ministered to uh, he was there in Israel, right? And he ministered to the crowds. We talked about this last week. He called from the crowds to be disciples. At the end of his life, Jesus had a total of about 70 disciples. That was his church. Jesus would not have been invited to speak at any church leader conferences. Among them were the 12 that he invested in, that he welcomed to follow him wherever he went to learn from him that they would carry on the ministry. Among that 12, he invested even deeper in a group of three men, Peter, James, and John, who were with him everywhere and who became the leaders of the church. Now, what I would suggest to you is that we need to start viewing our lives in, in terms of these circles, that, that we need to say, okay, we are in the city of Davis. We are attending a, a Sunday in discovery. Some of us have even taken steps forward to serve and to be devoted followers of Jesus. Some of us have gone into discovery groups as kind of the, the 12. But many of us are missing even kind of the more intimate group, the few. And so as we move forward, I have to say, are we going to be content being in the crowd of many? Are we going to seek to find ourselves in the few? Now, we have a role as a church to create a pathway that effectively leads men and women of all ages, children, youth, into these circles. But you also have a responsibility to pursue not just a discipleship that includes the many, but that includes the few. We're going to have to make the shift from the many to the few. Secondly, we're going to have to make a shift from the casual following to the intentional following. Uh, one of the things that I love when I tell somebody I'm a marine biologist, almost without fail, I, I find that somebody says, I wanted to do that at one time in my life. And I don't know if it was they watched a Discovery show one time or if they went to SeaWorld or, you know, watched a Seinfeld episode, you know, one of those things. But I look at those, okay, there are many who wanted to, but what's the difference of actually doing it. Well, because when it comes down to it, as many of you know in your careers, it takes four years of school for many careers. It takes another seven years to PhD, and, and that's the intentional pathway that we're very familiar with. That when you realize, I want to be, I have a purpose in being this, then we get more intentional about it. 
You could never get your degree if you were just kind of casual about it. Ah, I'll show up when the circumstances are just right, you know, once or twice a month. That I won't study outside of the, the lecture at all. That I'll just show up and expect to pass the exam. You know it doesn't work that way. But how many of us in following Jesus, we just want to live the casual life. Man, I hope when I show up for uh, an hour and a half on Sunday morning, that gives me everything that I need. Or when we add in a second hour sometime during the week, whether that's meeting with somebody or being part of a Bible study, well, that will get it done. No. Because when it comes to passing the test, to actually being a disciple, to living out life, we often just say, you know, I won't even show up for the test because I don't feel equipped, I don't feel ready, because we haven't got intentional about it. We're going to have to make a shift from casual to intentional, to pursuing Christ together, to pursuing all that he has for us. You see, teaching environments are kind of comfortable for us. They're comfortable for us in this culture. This is comfortable. Discipleship will get a little bit uncomfortable. Now, as disciples, we're going to have to move from learning to living. As disciple makers, we're going to have to move from telling to showing. Okay, so as disciples, we need to just not learn information, but we need to put it into practice. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 7, the end of giving a good long sermon on the mount. He said, those who hear my words and put them into practice, they are the ones who are like the builder who's built on solid rock. That when winds and waves come, they're not moved because they have both heard and put these things into practice. I mean, how often... You just kind of take some information. I'm so guilty of it myself. You hear something good, say, man, I should do something, but then we'll walk out and we get on with life. We're going to have to move from not just learning, but living it out. As disciple makers, we're going to have to move from telling to showing. And some of your parents out there and, um, you know, parenting, Paul brings it up, of course, is a great example for discipleship. Um, I had an example yesterday morning, Saturday mornings, usually kind of low-key and in my house. Um, for those of you with young kids, let me tell you, when they get like age five or six, you can actually start having some quiet moments uh, to read on a Saturday morning again. And so that's often what my Saturdays look like. It's like, kids, find something to do. I'm uh, just going to take some time uh, and read. And, and, uh, but my kids wanted waffles, not, not the batter type, but Eggo waffles. Uh, so I figure Eggo waffles, you know, that's kind of a no-brainer. You know, so Maddox, my son, comes up to me and says, Dad, I want waffles. I said, okay, go, go ahead and freezer, get them, put them in the toaster. You're good to go. Let me get back to reading. And uh, he gets the waffles out, and he says, Dad, how do I put them in the toaster? And I'm like, open the door. I'm telling him this from sitting in my chair. He's in the kitchen. You open the door of the toaster, you put them in. Uh, then eventually I had to get up and actually go show him how to put the waffles in the toaster. Uh, and then I go sit back down. He's like, Dad, what do I turn the dial to? I don't know. What's the number say? Turn it to, you know, kind of the dark toast uh, picture. And uh, he's like, Dad, I don't know. So I had to get back up again and turn it to sit down. There's another dial. Where do I turn that to, Dad? Get up and show him. And then, uh, you know, he's like, get, get him out of the toaster. I'm like, just, just get in. Pull him out. I know they're a little hot, but, you know, pull him out. And uh, he's like, Dad, I, I can't do it. I'm like, you can. It's, you know, just a little toughness, son, you know. And <laughs> 
And uh, so anyway, open the door, pull, and it didn't take much. You know, it was an easy thing. All you do is a little swipe of the waffles and got them out. And, uh, but, but here's the point. Something so simple. My child needed not just to be told, but to be shown. Now, how often, especially for those of us who are in the place to be disciple makers, who have been added to understand the gospel, like how often we say, hey, just go. I mean, we say this from the stage. I'm guilty of it. Saying, hey, just go take your Bible and, and read it this week. Have you ever opened up that thing? Like, it's, it's hard. To, where do I begin? Lamentations. <laughs> and like, where do I turn to? But we get in this church perspective where it should just be easy. Hand, hold up these invites and say, hey, go and tell your neighbors, tell your coworkers. Meanwhile, the reason what of us will not do it is because, man, we're afraid. We've never been shown. What, like, does that mean that I go and I just knock on the door and say, hey, here's an invite to Easter? Or does it mean something more? So we're going to need to move from just telling what to do, but showing and saying, come at my shoulder. Come watch while I do it first. Let me show you. To not be frustrated that we need to do that, but to realize that is what we've been called to. In order to do that, we're going to have to move from being distant from one another to making our lives accessible. The thing with the parenting and the child is our kids are always watching us. They're there. We're living together. I'm not suggesting that to be disciple makers that we need to move in together. Um, in fact, I probably caution you against that. But if we are to truly disciple somebody, leaders, I'll speak specifically to you here as well. We're going to have to make our lives more accessible. Now, I know life is full. I know we want boundaries to protect ourselves. We don't want to get overwhelmed. But if we are going to make that shift and truly be about discipling, we're going to have to open up our marriages a little bit for the younger generation to be able to see what Christian marriage looks like. We are going to have to invite people uh, to our homes to see how we live out, to see how we parent, and to make our lives more accessible. Like Paul said, imitate me. It's maybe a little bit scary. Maybe we say, my life's not worth imitating. And there is an issue. Are we following Christ ourselves in a way that we would gladly invite somebody to walk alongside us to see how we follow Christ, that they may learn as well. Final shift I have for us is that we're going to have to move from being superficial to being more authentic. See, we can show up to the crowd life, we can put the makeup on, we can do the hair, we can look nice, we can carry that hands distance, arms distance. But if we're going to be accessible, we're going to have to let people come in and see our mess Physically, emotionally, the only reason that we can do that, church, is because of the gospel of Jesus. See, if we're trying to put on a show that we have it all together, if we're trying to show up to discovery groups saying like, hey, I, I know all of these things about the Bible and don't share the questions that we're grappling with, let me tell you the consequence of that. There are people who will not come to discovery group or come to me and say, I tried that, but I felt like everybody there already knew everything. So there was no place for me there. Now, that breaks my heart, church. We need our circles of people to be places where people who don't have it together can come to ask questions. That people who are messy can come and say, I'm looking for answers. 
Because either we've been there or we're still there and we're just not willing to show anybody. But the gospel frees us. In fact, the gospel calls us to because our identity is not in what we look like or how well we've got it together or what we know or, or the status that we're at. No, it is in Jesus Christ alone. And he has called us. He has saved us even that we may go and we may proclaim him, not our goodness, but his. And so I want to exhort us, church, on this day, to say, are we going to settle for the teaching-only life? Are we going to settle for imparting information? Or are we going to pursue discipleship? Are we going to pursue life transformation? Are we going to pursue what our Lord and Savior called us to be about? I'll tell you, over these 10 years, there have been many times when I have been so tempted to just give in to the crowd. To say, you know, it would be easier to just give everyone what they want. But I'm thankful that God has continually called us back to discipleship. I'm thankful that God has brought a leadership around that says we are pursuing all that Jesus has for us. We're going to pursue that together. I want to invite you on this journey. Yes, it is bumpy sometimes shifting gears. It will call us from a comfortable place to a costly place. It will cause us to shift some things in our lives, but I believe with all my heart that when we're living how Jesus called us to, that we will experience what Jesus has given us. So on this day, I just want us to consider what is it that we're going to pursue? The life that Jesus has for us or, or some other version of it? Let's go to him together. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm thankful to be here on this Sunday giving this message. God, I thank you for your grace towards me. Given my own desires, it would have gone somewhere different. But not only did I stand here hearing your words once again, Jesus, but surrounded by people that have said, let's, let's go get it. Let's not settle for anything less. Whatever the cost, we're following Jesus. I thank you for the hearts of the people that are here. They've heard these messages in different ways before. I know, God, that you are working on our hearts, that you are calling us to pursue more. You're calling us to these intentional lives. So I pray that you would, you would speak to us, that you would help us to know practically how we come together not just in our own lives to pursue you, but as a church that we pursue you. I pray for each one of us as we hear about shifts that we need to make. Jesus, if we don't see you more clearly, if we don't experience you more deeply, there's no reason that we walk that road. But Jesus, you died to save us. You called us to be your people. You gave us a way to grow in you. That's the path that we want, Jesus. We're pursuing you no matter what the cost. We're following after you, Jesus. We give you thanks that we get to do it together, to care for one another, to support one another, to walk shoulder by shoulder in the life that you have for us, Jesus. It's for your name we pray. Amen.